0: Today, no surprises, we're going to think about the story of the triumphant entrance, as it's known. It was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, way before the birth of Jesus. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So way before Jesus uh, was born, this moment that we're going to hear about in just a second was prophesied of. It was one of those moments that said, you will know the Messiah is here because you will have already known that this is going to happen because Zachariah told us in a prophecy. And so when Jesus came uh, to this moment, Hopefully that prophecy was ringing, especially in the Pharisees' ears who would have known this prophecy because they were studying the law. So let's read for a moment what happens. It's an interesting story. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloak on and, sat, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them onto the road. And the crowd that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The crowds seem to, in this moment, be genuinely worshipping God Hosanna was an expression of praise. It meant that they were singing of joy and adoration. They were praising the Messiah, the one who came in God's name. This kind of outpouring was not normal in this cultural situation. Even the holiest of religious leaders would certainly not have received this kind of praise and welcome. Of course, they would have been revered and respected, which all good ministers should be moving on. <clears throat> but they certainly weren't worshipped in this way. This moment is a moment where the crowd recognised something in God that perhaps they didn't know about themselves at the beginning of the day. They were, they were ringing the ears of what Zachariah had promised and they saw that this was the Messiah in this moment. So with the person next to you, can you remember a moment when you were caught up in worship and praise? A moment where God felt close or a moment where you sang and worshipped? As we were singing how great, um, how great Is Our God earlier, that moment where the band stopped and you all started singing a bit louder was a moment for me of being lost in worship. I could actually hear most of you from the back row in that moment and that was a good thing because together in one voice we were singing. Can you think of another moment in your own life? Another moment. Why don't you share something with the person next to you just for a few minutes? another 30 seconds Okay, If you could just bring your conversations to a close, perhaps over coffee, you want to find someone else and just share a moment where you were really caught up in worship. One of those other moments for me involved no words at all, but watching that sunrise last year over the uh, beach really was a moment of wow, and all of us just stood there in awe, a moment where God felt so close as we saw the sunrise over the water. This passage teaches us a lot, and there are four things about worship that I'd just love us to think about quickly. Worship is an expression of praise, joy, and adoration. It's really true in that moment, wasn't it? They're walking along, they see Jesus arrive on the donkey, everything that they know about Old Testament prophecy comes into that moment, and they worship They worship. In fact, in one of the other uh, gospels, it says, even the rocks would have cried out if the people hadn't. This is a moment of them seeing Jesus and glimpsing that this could be the Messiah. And their response was praise, joy, adoration. It's a mountaintop moment. And probably what you shared a few minutes ago was one of those mountaintop moments that don't happen very often, but are actually moments where you glimpse God for who he is and you Encounter him, perhaps through a song you love, or walking along a beach, or something captures you, and it's a mountain top moment. But it's also a community worship moment thing, isn't it? We miss out and we missed out over COVID when we couldn't sing together, didn't we? I remember the first time we were back in here and we were six metres away or whatever it was, with all our masks on, and we, we were allowed to sing for a moment, I wept. Because it was something I had missed so much, that being with other people who loved Jesus. And do you know what? It was probably easier to sing loud over Zoom, on mute, but it was a great joy to be back together Worshipping. You see, community worship is a beautiful thing. And that's one of the reasons we do so many things over Easter. It's because actually there's something really important about the festivals, the way that our church year works, about at significant moments in the year coming together to worship. In the trustees meeting this week, we were thinking back to our Daniel fast and reviewing some of the things that went well, some of the things we need to learn from. And without fail, most of us in the room said one of the significant moments was when we were worshipping on that Wednesday night in here with IIC, band in the middle, and we just sang and sang and sang. That sense of being together in worship. God didn't design us to always follow him on our own, but to be together and to worship him together is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But in this moment that we've just read about they were responding to a situation weren't they they were responding to something i doubt they were you know they're on their way to the market and all of a sudden they see a crowd and off they go and they recognize that this is Jesus the messiah they were responding to a situation around us have you ever watched the sunset and felt compelled to thank god definitely watched the sunset more than i've watched the sunrise just saying That moment of awe, of wonder, of the situation leading us to worship. It can be a kind of flip side as well though, can't it? That when something hard or something challenging comes, that's the moment we turn to prayer, isn't it? As we've heard the news of this morning, it led us to come before God honestly in prayer. So true worship is about responding to what's going on around us sometimes. Watching the news, we're led to prayer and to intercession and to asking God for something different. So, the triumphant entry. You guys probably have heard that story a million times. Hands up if you fuzzy felted it, coloured it at primary school. You know, we, we know it, don't we? But actually, I wanted us to have the crosses today. We're gonna use these over, uh, the next few services. So please could you leave them here, so that we've got them for Friday, but we're gonna use them again in a moment. That they were waving, Hosanna, Hosanna, a moment of high worship, a moment of recognising, glimpsing who this Jesus could be, of really community coming together and worship. So let's just hold our crosses again as we did a few moments ago. And I'm just going to thank God for the opportunities we have to worship together. Lord, we want to thank you that you call us to follow you together. And as we think about these palm crosses, we recognise that we want to say, Hosanna to the King of Kings today. You are our God. You are the Messiah, the one who comes to save. And so we together say, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. You are our God and our king and thank you for the opportunities we have to worship together thank you for one another that we can come and sing our praise thank you for the band and the pa who work so hard to make our song worship something that honors you and invites us into your presence thank you for them and so we pray in jesus name amen put your crosses down we're going to need them again in a moment we know what happens next though don't we See, the same crowd who were singing Hosanna turned their words around quite quickly. (laughs) So, Matthew 27, a few chapters later. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? I mean, Pilate's obvious, isn't he? (laughs) They cried, crucify him. Crucify him. What crime has he committed, asked Pilate, But instead of answering, they shouted louder, crucify him, crucify him. The crowd's worship was short-lived. Certainly wasn't life-changing. And sadly, I think that experience can ring true in my own life. I come to church, I love the worship, I learn great things about God, I enjoy hanging out with my church family, and then Tuesday morning comes. Tuesday's better than Monday. (laughs) I can kind of keep it going through Monday, but Tuesday morning comes and somehow the worship feels harder. The Sunday feels a long way off. I wonder why. With the person next to you, just for a minute, why do people struggle to consistently worship Jesus in their every life? Notice I've put people, you don't have to be honest about yourself. You can if you want. But why do people consistently struggle? to worship Jesus in their every life. Let me give you mine. It might ring true. Why not Monday? Well, Monday's a busy day, but actually Tuesday's the moment that's even busier. And by then, I feel like I've done 900 million jobs since Sunday. It feels a long way off, and somehow God's got lost in the busyness of my day. Go. Go. Another 30 seconds to make sure everyone's had a chance to speak. Okay. I would be surprised if anyone said anything huge like, I don't know, an earthquake or um, I don't know. Just holidays. I suspect it was the little things, the little everyday things that somehow distract us from the worship of God, from living the truth of what we heard on a Sunday to turning that into our everyday lives. I suspect they weren't big things that distract us as a people of God from worshiping God every day. But there's another story I'd like us to hear today. It's a story that may or may not have happened in Holy Week. The uh, chronological kind of uh, view of the Bible is that it probably happened just beforehand, but we don't quite know. And Tony's going to come and read to us now from the book of Luke. So Tony, do join us. Now
1: this morning's reading is from Luke 7, verses 36 50. Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman. Now one of the Pharisees named Simon invited Jesus to dinner with him. So Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man is a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, and she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. "'Tell me, teacher,' he said. "'Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. "'One owed 500 denarii, and the other owed 50. "'Neither of them had the money to pay him back, "'so he cancelled the debt of both. "'Now, which of them loved him more?' "'Simon replied, "'I suppose the one who had the biggest debt was cancelled. "'You have judged correctly,' Jesus said." Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace.
0: Thanks so much, Tony. I mean, what a story. What a story. can't believe I'm quoting Graham Kendrick. As someone who grew up in the 80s, it was the only tape we had on in the car. However... Worship has been misunderstood as something that arises from a feeling which comes upon us. It is vital that we understand that it is rooted in a conscious act of the will to serve and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it again. Worship has been misunderstood as something that arises from a feeling which comes upon us. But it is vital that we understand that it is rooted in a conscious act of the will to serve and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. The earlier story reminded us some great things about worship. But it was a very experience-based form of worship. And in the moment. It was the Sunday morning in so many ways. But this story is starkly different. A beautiful picture of worship, of true adoration, of gratitude. It was a conscious act of the will. It was costly for this woman. So let's think for a moment who she was. Now, there are two stories uh, that are very similar in the Gospels. And I don't want you to confuse this story with the story that's in John 12. That was of Mary and Martha. They're named. And it was Mary who was the one who poured uh, the oil over Jesus as preparation from his uh, coming death. It's a very different story. And most scholars believe that this is a different story being shared here It happens in a different place, in somebody different's home and probably in a different week. This woman's given no name. She's described as a sinner. One in the eyes of God and the law who was done wrong. But anyone remember what Romans says? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Many attribute to her being a prostitute. Again, the Bible doesn't say that. It may well be true, we don't know. This is a woman, though, who has sinned and been made aware of her sin by her own people and probably by herself as well. She's broken. She knows who she is. She knows what she's done wrong. This isn't a woman who's blindly aware of her circumstances, unaware of her circumstances. She is painfully aware of who she is. And this happens in the home of a Pharisee, somebody who would have been very upright and religious in the eyes of the law. It is an unbelievable story in the house of a Pharisee. You see, we can read that she probably wasn't invited to the meal. It wasn't like she arrived at the door and they said, oh yes, name's on the list, off you go. She would have heard that Jesus was in the house and would have made herself go there to meet Jesus. This is an act of worship, an act of worship. In a Pharisee's home, according to the Jewish law, they should have done certain things to welcome a guest. Hospitality, as we saw a few weeks ago, is so strong in the Near East and much fuss would have been made over the guests. For example, a basin would have been provided so that the guests could brush their feet. Uh, scented olive oil would have been offered to anoint the guest's hair. And a beloved guest would have kissed everybody who was welcomed in. None of this had been offered to Jesus in the house of the Pharisees, as is pointed out. But the uninvited guest, the woman, did all these things. She welcomed Jesus, she honoured him and she recognised that he was the most honoured guest. Her act of washing his feet with the tears because she had no water and using her own perfume to pour on Jesus was a true act of worship. She knew who she was in the room with and yet she went and did this. She knew more than anyone how much forgiveness she needed. And yet she still washed Jesus' feet, welcomed him with a kiss, and poured oil over him. Her worship is so clearly an act of love that overflows from knowing that she was forgiven. And so I guess that's right at the heart of this story. Forgiveness Forgiveness is at the heart of what is going on here. I love that little story that Jesus uh, shares. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One hold owned him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them, though, had the money to pay him back. So what did he do? Cancel the debts of both. Now, which one loved him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the biggest debt to cancel. Jesus said, yeah, you're right. It's time for us to remember through this holy week what we've been saved from. I know what I've been saved from. When I was 16 and became a Christian, it was painfully obvious that I was not going to finish school. It was painfully obvious that the uh, situations with my friends were only going to end pretty badly and that I was addicted to things that I shouldn't be addicted to age 16. I, I sometimes allow my brain to go to places of what would have happened if I hadn't have found Jesus in that moment. And I'm just saying it's not pretty. It's not pretty. If Jesus hadn't come into my story, I'm not sure what would have happened. I had no self-esteem. I was driven by the wrong things. And actually, I had no sense of needing forgiveness at that moment. I was an angry little bunny, you could say. I think it's time for all of us to remember what we've been safe from. I think it's time for us to know that like the woman, we're all a bit broken. That we're all a bit kind of sinful. And that's a really hard thing to say. And you're saying, I don't know your life, you don't know mine. But actually, there are small things in our lives that we know are not right. And there are ways that we live that we know are not serving God in the right way. Or there are things that are hard that we're not trusting him with. We don't talk a lot about sin, but guys, it is a reality of our lives. I know I have been saved from all kinds of things. I also know I've been saved for a reason. I know that I've been saved because Jesus wants me and his family. I know that I've been saved because I get to spend eternity in heaven with him. I know that I've been saved because he's got things for me to do here on earth. I know that he's given me a plan and things to do. So, on your own for a moment. Think about what you've been saved from. How does it make you feel? Now, this could be going back into time and thinking about your life before Jesus and after Jesus. Some of us don't have that. We grew up in a church family and then owned our faith for ourselves. So think about the last week. What's Jesus saving you from in the last week? Just spend a moment on that question on your own. And then think forward. What have you been saved for? What have you been saved for? You've been saved so that you can have an intimate relationship with God. You've been saved so that you never have to face the darkest day on your own. You will always have the King of Kings with you. You have been saved. So that you don't have to live in fear. You've been saved so your sins, all those things you've thought about, can be forgiven. And every day you can start afresh again. What have you been saved for? You take your cross again. Romans 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free Christ of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Hmm. Free gift. Why is it free? It's because of this. See, Jesus paid the cost. So that you could be forgiven like that woman was forgiven. Jesus paid the cost so that you can be saved. Jesus paid the cost so that you can know him and live with him into eternity. i have seen two really different moments of worship today. Keep holding your cross. We're going to use it again in a moment. The Hosanna moment. And the devotion of a sinner moment. And we can learn stuff from both and we can enjoy being in both situations as well. Collective mountaintop worship moments are so needed. They're life-giving. But the worship and devotion and adoration of that sinful woman. That's what sustains our worship. That's what helps us take it into the week. Knowing what we've been saved from knowing that our sins are forgiven, knowing that we have an invitation to an intimate relationship with Jesus, that will help you worship on a Tuesday as much as a Sunday. That's the difference. So I'm going to ask the band to come up. And taking hold of your cross, maybe you just want to uh, close your eyes, holding to your cross. Having heard of two stories, of worship, having thought about what you've been saved from and saved for. As you hold your cross, what's your prayer to God right now? Perhaps it's a prayer of saying, thank you, thank you for saving me. Thank you, it's a prayer of, Lord, I need your forgiveness in this area of my life. Perhaps that Hosanna's rising in you as you recognize the welcome you receive as a forgiven son or daughter of the King. So, in the silence, why don't you hold your cross, offering your own prayer to God? Let's stand together, shall we? And we're going to sing this next song together, which talks about the cross where we find forgiveness, talks about the cross where we find new life, talks about the cross where we find healing and hope. And as we worship, why don't you come and bring your cross to the big cross and just lay it on the table beforehand as a way of leaving that prayer that you just prayed in the silence with God, as a way of saying, as I explore Easter again, as I travel through this holy week, help me to worship you. Why don't we leave our crosses at the big cross to say we trust you, Lord Jesus, to say we're forgiven and free.